Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. And welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're coming to you here a day late. I know, I know, I know. We try our best, you know, but we still have lives. Um, we still have family and friends that we want to see. So we're still going to come to you with three episodes this week. Dan and I are going to have to run a back-to-back. No big deal. We'll make it happen. We'll make it work. And then later in the week, we have another special guest that we're super excited for. So just teasing you, if you didn't catch the last episode with Tyson Petersheim, the Director of Hitting Development with the Virginia Tech Hokies, just press pause right now. Go back. Click on episode 71. Just an awesome episode. He brought so much information. He brought so much hitting content. Great conversation. Great guy. Um, And you'll definitely enjoy that episode. So uh, super excited to be back here. Dan, how are we doing today? Doing good. Look, hand up. Uh, My family decided uh, that the last two weekends back to back were going to be the weekends to come visit my wife and I. So... uh, I apologize. That's it's been my fault that we've been a little bit uh, backed up on episodes, but uh, I'm here and I am excited for this pod, as always. Excited for this. Pod. Yeah, well, I'm excited for this one too. Uh, we got a little bit of some different stuff that we're going to talk about. We're obviously going to recap the series from the weekend. We're going to trip around the league. Uh, a lot of good series this past weekend. MLB was advertising it as the rivalry week, which it turned out to be a lot of pretty good series. Uh, and there were some some tight ones there that that ended. I think there were there was only one sweep across baseball, which so that was pretty good there. Um, we're going to dive in a little bit on the Wilson Contreras situation. So um, that'll be, that's going to be fun. That's all I'm going to say. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. And then we're going to do a little buy or sell segment with some guys that have been off to either some shaky starts or some good starts. So we're going to kind of give our opinions on those, but obviously, like I said, weekend, a lot of good baseball this past weekend. Atlanta won a really good series, and it's just a shame that they ended up concluding it at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. Um, you know, just you blink and and Matt Olson's in his fourth at bat, and, and they're trotting in, and, and Felix Batista's coming in trying to save the game out. But Atlanta ended up winning that one in extras. A lot of close games. Really, the Orioles ended up not winning the series, but 
a lot of people, I think myself included, came away saying like, no, that team's legit in the series that they didn't win. Uh, they only took one of those games. The Blue Jays swept the Pirates. Dan's, Dan's living high right now. The Pirates are coming back down to earth. Uh, Red Sox continue to play good baseball. Uh, they win the series against Philadelphia in Philly and Bryce Harper's return to the bank since the World Series last year. The Guardians take the series against the division rival Twins. The Rays walked off the Yankees in the rubber match. Um, that was a really good series, really good back and forth. Garrett Cole was pegged with a 6 nothing lead, and that Rays offense, which continues to be dynamic, just battled back and, and made that thing a game that they ended up winning. The A's win the series against the Royals. The Rockies came to the East Coast and took the series against the Mets. The Cubs got right against the Marlins. The Giants took down the Brewers in the series. The Rangers continue to play good baseball, and they, they got a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here with Corey Seager being less than a week from returning. They're thinking close to this weekend, so that'll be huge for that team. The D-backs obviously continue their good start to the season. The Mariners, the Seattle Mariners, who we talked about last week, had a huge series win against the struggling Houston Astros. Obviously, the Astros are our reigning champs. The White Sox continue to be kind of plucky and trend up a little bit with a series against the Reds. And last but not least, the Tigers continue the rough start of the season to the St. Louis Cardinals with a series win. So obviously, Dan, a lot of series to unpack there. Um, what are your thoughts and, and what are some of the things that, that really stood out to you as we enter this new week? Uh, the, the White Sox, you're welcome. I feel like ever since we kind of called out their players and called out their, their leadership, obviously, Lewis Robert, um, they've started to play a lot better baseball. It started with the big comeback in the ninth inning against the Rays last week, and they kind of continue to have a really good week. And this is what makes Major League Baseball so fun is like you blink and things can change like this, right? Like everybody loved the Pirates, you know, other media sites were tweeting out every Pirates game. Uh, everything they did, they were plucky. They've lost six in a row. The Red Sox, who everyone, including me and you, were kind of down on, and they didn't have a very good start to the season. They were just kind of blood. They ripped off yesterday. I think ended an eight-game win streak for them. Like they went seven and one or six and one last week, and, and the Brewers have lost six in a row. Uh, like until yesterday, they had lost six in a row. I mean, so like you just you blink, and in May, and like things can happen. The Phillies went one in um, from Sunday to Sunday, went one in six, I think. So. You, things are starting to move and shake. The one thing that stayed consistent through from start to where we are has been the Rays, obviously, with another series win. I kind of have a hot take uh, that I want your opinion on. Is the Rays-Yankees rivalry better the last, like, maybe two, three years than Yankees-Red Sox? I think so. I think the, the Yankees-Rays rivalry has been a lot more on what happens in the field. The Yankees-Red Sox rivalry for anybody who's been either to Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park for those games, that's a lot more entertaining based off of what happens in the stands. So I think there's – like in terms of quality of the game, in terms of kind of the intensity, the going back and forth, all those stuffs definitely. I think that's 100% true that the, the Rays and Yankees have been better uh, better brand of baseball than the Yankees versus the Red Sox. Yeah, that's kind of just how it's it's been feeling. And, and the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry to me really took a downturn like in the like the late 2010s there when like those games were taking four and a half hours. You remember that? Like it was like they were like those two teams were basically the reason that all the pace of play stuff started. It was like we'd have to watch them on MLB Network on Friday, Fox on Saturday, ESPN on Sunday every time they played each other. And every game was four and a half hours long. It would like almost became unbearable to watch. Um, but yeah, you know why they were four and a half hours long? Because they were both stealing signs, and they both knew it, and they were both paranoid. As yeah. <laughs> but and like and I think, but I think like when you look at the Rays and, and Yankees, like a lot more bean balls. Like how many times have we had guys getting thrown out? How many times have we had chirping? Like. It just seems really intense, and like you said, they're always good series, and I'm just – I'm really – I mean, I'm so in on the Rays bandwagon. Everyone who listens to this knows that. Like, they're the, – the trop has been great. They're like – there's fans showing up, which is just pretty cool because um, we really haven't seen people consistently show up. Um, and that's just – that's been – those two teams have been really fun the past couple of years to watch them play against each other. I mean, the, that, the Yankees had a 6 nothing lead with Garrett Cole on the mound yesterday, and the Rays win that game. 
21 and 0 since he signed in in New York when they give Garrett Cole a six run lead um and they lost it and it's cuz it was a lot more obviously Garrett Cole had his clunker um mistakes home runs that'll do it to you but a lot more because of the Rays you know ability to respond and you know when i look across the league and and specifically the series from this weekend there's there's two th- three we'll go three thoughts that come to mind the Orioles, man, I mean, we talk about this. I kind of started to to throw this out there in casual conversation, but you want to know how good a player development organization is? When they turn nobodies into elite relievers. They're running on back-to-back years when they pull Felix Batista out of nowhere, and now they got this Yiner Cano guy who's just stalking on the mound, and he's gross. And, and that's when you know this organization's figuring it out. The pitching development is going to come in terms of starters. Anybody who can find a niche of being able to build relievers is going to be able to translate that niche into starting pitching. It's just a matter of time. And trust me, they've maximized the starters that they've had. They've thrown out there. I mean, we're finally seeing the Grayson Rodriguez's of the world show up, and they haven't had that top prospect, and they've been good. Secondly, I was reminded of this today. Um, my preseason value World Series bet was the Toronto Blue Jays, and I'd forgotten that. And that team's good. Like that team does not have many holes. That team is really good. They like they are probably arguably the most well-rounded team in baseball. They have superstars. They have if they can get that bridge to the ninth inning cleaned up, which everybody can. Everybody does that at the deadline every year. There's going to be relievers abundance at trade deadline every year. They get that cleaned up. That lineup stays healthy. You're going to assume that the the rotation. They need Manoa to be better. We'll talk about him a little later, but. That's a pretty well-rounded team, and I know you got some thoughts because I, I saw the way you perked up. Well, I, outside of the, the – like, which I agree with you, and I think the Blue Jays are a really good team, and I think they are complete. Which is like, I mean, we talked about the potential of the starting pitching when we previewed them back in the beginning of April. We were like, if this – like, look at the potential that this rotation has and how good it can actually be if they just let it happen, you know? And um, I think, the you know, that – also goes to show you how hot of a week the Red Sox have because the Red Sox swept the Blue Jays and that Blue Jays team, like they're not going to get swept very often this year. Mm-mm. So do that, like shows you that the Red Sox, like that whole division's playing really good because I agree with you as well with the Orioles. Like that's a playoff team right now. Like you look at mm-hmm. the way that team's playing and we mentioned it um, last episode when we were talking about or a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Mateo, like the confidence that whole team plays with right now, they're a playoff team or they look like one now. Are they going to be able to to have the staying power this year? Maybe not, but like, look out because as they continue to develop and these guys get experience and some more guys come up. You mentioned Grayson Rodriguez and Ad, Adley continues to solidify himself. Like that's a really good organization right now to look out for. And, and um, you know, this is just kind of a me picky thing. Like I would have rather have seen the Braves and the Orioles on Sunday Night Baseball than the Dodgers and Padres for the seven hundredth time. And I understand that it's a good rivalry, but like. I, to me, like, how many chances are you going to have for that to be the Sunday night game this year? Braves and Orioles, that was it for the year. I would have loved to see those two teams. Um, you know, the Orioles kind of like that was a measuring stick series for them. Yeah. And and, and the reason why is because that, that conversation is had in January, not right. March yeah. or not even April, right? Um, them, though, in my opinion. They should. Yeah. And, and you should be able to, like, like you said, I think the, the point of it is not that nobody wants to see the Dodgers and Padres. It's the fact that we're now seeing the Dodgers and Padres for the, what feels like hundredth time, right. And, and being able to, to kind of, um, just watch the same game over and over again, every time they play it's national television. And the last thing that I will leave you with is the fact that the Seattle Mariners had this unicorn mutant in the minor leagues in double A, not even triple A, in double A, who leads the MLB in vertical movement in terms of balls that have dropped less than nine inches, which we don't have to get into the nitty gritty. It means very good, like very good vertical movement. He comes out and he's just punching ticket. He's he's had 27 fastballs that had more vertical movement than nine inches. 
Spencer Strider's only thrown 24. He's had two starts. They literally have this mutant that they were just letting, and they rolled Chris Flexen out there, and they just have this mutant come up, and it's just like, all right, thank you very much. Hold on. Let's take a second, pat ourselves on the back. Because we were yeah. all over this. We maybe didn't throw his name. I think we did mention his name. We did. We, we did. We, like, Jerry DePoto, Scott Service, Seattle Mariners fan base, you're welcome. Because that was on us. Like, the fact that they were – we sat here and were like, you can't keep running Chris Fle- – you want to fix this thing? Stop running Chris Flexen out there. Look at this guy. You think he's giving them a bolt? You pair him with the other – like, how good does that rotation look now? Castillo and Kurt- George Kirby's numbers, too. Which, like, I mean, he he deserves some love. George Kirby doesn't walk anybody. George no. Kirby throws more strikes than anybody in baseball as a starting pitcher right now. And, you know, will he hit a patch this year where he's not getting as many, you know, as much batted ball luck? Sure. But I think because of the consistency of him being in the strike zone, it won't be too bad of a rough patch. I mean, and, and Castillo and that Bryce Miller and, and George Kirby and, and uh, Logan Gilbert, who I – like now, Logan Gilbert, like, just go be a four. Like to me, it looks like you have two. A, like Bryce Miller looks like he has a stuff. I mean, you talk about Spencer Strider, who's been an electric factory, who since he's come up has just been the fastball whiff king. And this kid's doing something in two starts. He's got more, uh, more fastballs with more ride than than Spencer Strider. Like. This kid looks like an ace. I don't. Hey, no pressure. <laughs> it's been two starts, but he looks like the real deal. The stuff is ace level, like no question. Yeah. Um, the command, the ability to go deep in games. Yeah, like dude, that thing's a phantom ball. Like that thing, and he and he is like just like all arms and legs getting down the mound and just breathing down you with that phantom ball. And and next thing you know, it's like swinging at your chin and you, you had no fighting chance and and that's that's unbelievable but obviously the big news coming out of the weekend as much as we want to sit here and talk about mutant pitchers is the goldie beacom lightning are heading to waterbury connecticut for the conference championship as well as our arcadia knights playing hosting misericordia cougars for the conference championship you know dan at the midway point, I had heard that uh, you know people were starting to murmur that that there were some highs and lows. They were saying that that the head coaches were distracted by the media that they had in their ear through the off season. Um, some staff turnover was a problem in all these places. You know, it's just I just want to shine light on those programs for being able to handle that adversity, to be able to handle the noise, avoid the rat poison, and just still have a great year. Yeah, no, excited for – I didn't know we were going to get – I thought we were going to save this for the next college episode or something, but I'm excited for both programs, obviously, to have the opportunity they do. Both programs look like they're probably – even if they don't end up on top of the conference tournaments, look like they're going to probably continue their season and make the uh, national tournaments um, at the respected levels. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for those those programs, re- led by good head coaches, um, both who are – Friends of the pod. Our employers, friends of the pod. Uh Really good kids on both teams too, um, so it's I'm excited for them. I'm excited. Hopefully, uh, yeah. hopefully both can continue to run in the uh, in their conference tournaments here. Of course, of course. And if anybody is watching live on YouTube, or if we get some clips out here, you'll see the the hat behind my right shoulder. It's uh, Arcadia's mental health awareness hat. Um, you know, which is a good time for us to mention our sponsors, BetterHelp. So. Um, obviously if anybody needs any therapy needs, better helps your, your service for that. The link will be in the information below, but we are a big proponent of mental health awareness. So we got the hat in the background, uh, making sure we're supporting everybody who needs it, but in less important news, I mean, this might've hit the front page of somebody news, somebody's newspaper, unlike Arcadia and Goldie Beacom, Wilson Contreras situation. Uh, so we come out of the weekend. Really, it was midway point through the weekend. Um, comes out that their five-year, $80 million off-season signing of the St. Louis Cardinals to be the heir to Yadier Molina is no longer going to be catching. Where this comes from, uh, no idea. I think that's one thing I want to pref- preface before we get into it is we don't know all the information 
right? We don't know completely what went on behind closed doors. But this is not the first time that information has come out from behind closed doors of the St. Louis Cardinals as they struggle out to a season where they had high expectations and people are wondering how that got out. Who's getting this information out? Their manager hasn't handled these situations well. They aren't keeping things in the clubhouse. That Wilson Contreras handled this like a complete veteran. He said, I'm an employer. I'm going to do what's best for my team. I'm going to do what's best for the organization. I'm all on board. But how you as an organization invest this much time and in this much money into a guy and then don't even give him a month and a half to get through it, to work with your pitching staff, to do all the things necessary to have success. It's just not a good look for the St. Louis Cardinals who are struggling, who are scapegoating somebody who is obviously has no sour grapes over the situation. I'm sure he's not happy, but he'll be cashing his checks no matter what, whether he's catching or DH and or not playing, those checks are still going to clear into his bank account. So he's not worried at all, but Dan, before we get into like kind of some nitty gritty conversation, what, what's your initial thought on, on this whole situation? Do they really think that the reason that they have the worst, one of the worst ERAs in baseball is because of Wilson Contreras? Like, okay, if he, if one or two guys doesn't like throwing to a catcher, that happens sometime. I mean, you remember Lester, David Ross was Lester's personal catcher um, when he was with the Cubs. But like, it, it's just weird to me. It like you, it's not like defensively Contreras has really been any different than what he's been in the past. Um, didn't you know what you were getting when you signed him? And 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 maybe there are some issues here that that we don't we're not privy to. And and you know I haven't been, you know I hadn't even thought about anything until this news came out. So I haven't really had time to digest it even. But like I just don't think you can blame one guy for the complete lack of success from the starting pitching, especially when you look at the guys who are out there on the mound. It's not like you have a staff of a bunch of guys who are all-star caliber, top-of-the-rotation caliber guys, and they're pitching to seven, eight ERAs. No, this is like a this is guys who throw very hittable stuff. This is an organization who last week as well some stuff came about their came out about their player development in their minor league organization. They don't prioritize stuff. They don't prioritize velocity. And outside of their bullpen, you look at their major league roster, you kind of believe those things. You see it and you go, oh yeah, well. It makes sense that they have a bunch of guys like Miles Mikolas and Michaelis and, and Adam Wainwright who threw 88 miles an hour and they're just pitching to contact. Well, guess what? Like, have you seen today's baseball? That t- kind of stuff doesn't work. And uh, it, it's interesting. And I just don't understand what Contreras has to do with that. Um, and I, that was kind of a bad answer because uh, I know I went kind of off the cuff there. But I guess my question is, is if you do want to look at anything and say maybe there is an issue with Contreras, is this why the – Cubs were so willing to let him walk because to me I thought the Cubs let him walk because they didn't want to pay the stage they were in that's not kind of they didn't want to hand out the contract but maybe maybe there's something there if you want to connect those dots but I don't know yeah that was one thing that was pointed out this morning um, when I was listening to some some talk stuff was David Ross was Wilson Contreras teammate Um, they let him just straight up walk out the door. David Ross is a catcher. He's played the position. He's worked with Wilson Contreras. Is there a reason for that? I thought the situation was odd because the Cubs never traded him. So if they were really hell bent on on moving on, why wouldn't they trade him for a double A prospect who's a reliever? Like just get rid of him. Just go, go to New York, go get out. So I'm not completely sold on that, but this will be because I'm not going to make this about Wilson and, and whatever Wilson's done because exactly what you said. He's no different than the player he's been. He's always been this catcher. He's always been this caliber defender. He's not showing up and, and being anything different. He's just not Yadier Molina, which if you expected anybody to roll into that clubhouse and even be a fraction of what Yadi provided in terms of mentally for that pitching staff, you're just delusional to expect that. This is my problem. Did the pitchers go to the organization and say this? Because if you're an arm in the big leagues and you have a problem with your catcher, you're not good enough. 
right? You think Jacob DeGrom cares? You could throw that nine ball net back there and he's going to strike guys out. So if you're good enough to pitch at a high level in the big leagues, it doesn't matter who's putting those fingers down. So the organization wants to blame him for not putting the right fingers down. Okay, maybe it's the organization. Maybe it's not pitcher's preference of who they're throwing to. Well, you know, there's this wild technology called PitchCom. Ever heard of it? Shohei Otani calls his own pitches. There's pitchers across the league that wear this thing on their arm and can click exactly what pitch you want. What your pitchers are are, are complaining about the game that Wilson Contreras calls, but they don't want to have the autonomy to call their own game, to call their own game from PitchCom. So we're in an era now where there's no excuses. Do you not like the way he receives the ball? Okay, like, is that even an excuse to move a guy off of catcher for a guy who brings offensive value? So where does this come from? You have, as a pitcher, I've heard guys that complain, you've worked with more pitchers than I have, that hate shaking off, that messes with their rhythm, whatever it is. Okay, that's fine. Use pitch comp. Oh, you don't want to think. Well, don't complain, right? Where is the balance here of this is just the fact that your pitching staff sucks. They have bad stuff. They don't strike anybody out. Jack Flaherty can't throw a strike and now he's not healthy. Adam Wainwright's 40 years old and throws 88 miles per hour. Miles Mikolas, you extended for two more years and $20 million a year. He doesn't strike out a batter per nine. Jake Woodruff probably shouldn't be a big league pitcher at this point in time because he's just not good enough for what they're expecting to accomplish as an organization. And you're keeping Matthew Liberator, who's had a great start to the year, in AAA to collect dust and just waste bullets. So what is our ultimate goal with Wilson Contreras being moved that isn't any, that's going to be any different with Andrew Neiser behind the plate or Trace Barrera behind the plate. Those guys are not going to change the fact that the pitching staff just stinks. Yeah. Is it Wilson Contreras' fault that Jack Flaherty has 22 walks in, in 34 innings? It doesn't matter what pitch, you know, it doesn't matter when a guy can't throw strikes, it doesn't matter what pitch is being put down. And and we've talked about this before that there's entirely too much sometimes that's put into pitch calling because it's about execution. And there are times where you call the right pitch based on everything and, and it doesn't work out. And there are times where you call a bad pitch and it works out. So like hitting so hard and pitching so hard, it comes down to execution and being able to locate the baseball. I can't imagine those guys who are veterans in that clubhouse. I mean, you know, Michaelis and Wainwright, who are kind of leaders of that staff, and even Flaherty's been around long enough. I would, I can't believe that any of them, it's their call. They said that. They probably feel. You don't think so? No. I think if anything, it's the opposite because they've been around for a while and because they've only thrown to one guy their whole career that they're snobs. That they're like, this guy's just not cutting it if we're going to win. No, because Wainwright's too much. Wainwright, especially, he's he's he understands a clubhouse. Well, he hasn't thrown. He hasn't know, thrown to. But I can't imagine that big league guys. You take too much pride in your work, and yeah, there's times where you don't like throwing to a specific guy, and maybe it's not a collective thing because that just sounds like an excuse. And no big league, no professional athlete is making that that many professional. Maybe one, like it could be one guy. Now, if the organization is listening to one guy and taking it the whole way, that's ridiculous in my mind. But this is, as you said, this is a talent. They did not compile enough talent to pitch at the big league level and get outs at a high rate. I mean, we talked about it. Why were you and I down on the Cardinals at the beginning of the year? Their pitching staff, Their pitching staff stunk. Stink. <laughs> it's not even like, okay, they don't have enough arms. They don't have a top end. Like, like you look at some of these rotations around baseball, and they've got some good guys. They don't have a top end arm, or there's some rotations that have one or two guys who are really good. They don't have enough depth, right? You, you worry about their depth three, four, five in the rotation. No, we looked at this one through like option eight, and we were like, this rotation is terrible. And yeah. it, sure, like the the fact that you're gonna close your eyes and bank on Jack Flaherty to come back and be the guy that he was in 2019 when he wasn't healthy in 2020, he wasn't healthy in 21, and he wasn't healthy in 22, is unfair to Jack Flaherty and kind of ridiculous to think and poor team building. Then you want to add on top of that, you extend a guy like Miles Michaelis, and 
two idiots in North Carolina who have a podcast can go look at his peripheral numbers and go, there's too much batted ball luck. He does not have good enough stuff to pitch at the level he's pitched at even in two years, let alone be the front of the rotation guy. Because look at the like, look at the difference between a guy like Miles Michaelis and Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara doesn't strike out a lot of people either. Okay, that's why I'm using him as an example. Look at the difference in stuff. Go look at the stuff plus metrics. Go look at the the fastball. Go look at the the secondary offerings. None of that lines up to be okay. There's a front of the rotation guy in Miami who doesn't strike people out and wins a Cy Young. Look at his stuff, and then you're going to point and you're going to say Michaelis is our guy out here, and he's going to be uh, that's going to be our front rotate front end guy. It, it didn't make any sense. So to then be turn and say it's Contreras' fault. And again, like we've both mentioned here, Contreras, you knew what you were signing up for. He's not Yadier Molina. There is no such – there will never be another Yadier Molina, right? And, and especially as Molina got towards the back end, Molina milked the most he could have out of these guys because he was so good at managing a pitching staff. And that's not even from a pitch-calling standpoint. That's from a leadership and mental standpoint of being able to nurse guys through innings and through situations and get the most out of them. You knew that wasn't happening. Contreras wasn't going to magically turn into that. This was who Wilson Contreras was last year and the year before behind the plate as a catcher. It hasn't changed. Go look at the framing. Go look at everything. He's still an elite thrower. Like, that's what he was. He was a throw-first catcher. He always has been. Nothing has changed. So, to to make him a scapegoat is so – It's for an organization who has always been lauded and is one of them, you know, has such a deep history, it is – a strange thing to see this. And I don't know if it's a panic move or what, but it's, it's, I don't understand it. And maybe we're making too big of a deal out of it, but why would you, you did not sign Wilson Contreras to be a designated hitter, part-time left fielder. No. And you already have a billion left fielders. She can't get playing time for, but I'll go back to the point you made about it being, nobody's making excuses as terms of a big league, big professional athlete being a professional athlete moving him shows somebody is making an excuse somebody whether it's ali marmal ali mr complains a lot whether it's the pitching coach who to me the pitching coach is just refraining you let's peel back the layer there who's the pitching coach speaking for the pitchers so what's he hearing from the pitchers is they're probably complaining about wilson Pigeon coach presents it to Ali Marmol. Ali Marmol presents it to management. Boom, you're out of the catching spot. It's an excuse right there. And I can guarantee you that we've been around enough athletes to know that there's always there's always that group of excuse makers, whether it's professional. Like, I get it. You're, you're passionate about your craft, whatever you want to say. Somebody's making excuses here. And I have a hard time believing management's picking up the phone, calling Ali Marmol and telling him to make this move. I believe it's the other way around. I just don't think management, it's a sunk cost fallacy at that point. You're living and dying 36 days into your tenure. You're living and dying based off of the fact that you don't think this guy can catch for the next five years. And you just put $80 million into him. So have fun picking up the phone. And call him whatever organization needs to add a catcher and giving it to him for nothing, nothing, and eating money on top of it. And, and I don't, I mean, I don't know the conversations that have gone on between Dusty Blake and Ali Marmol, but to me, I, 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 this just screams like an organization, like a front office and Ali Marmol decision. I don't know why. And again, maybe it's just because I don't want to believe that there's an entire pitching staff or starting. I don't think it's the entire one. Well, even if it's three it could be one, it could be one or two, but and then, if it's one of them, and then Marmol and Blake are, are just depends again, on who that one is. Again, if it's I don't, but if it's Miles, let's say it's Miles Michaelis, and I don't want to I don't want to accuse anyone, but let's let's take this somewhere else. Let's say we're in Miami, right? Miami has a few catchers on their roster. I think they were carrying three to start the year, two, five second baseman, three catchers. Good, there's good more good team building. But let's say, you know, let's say Jesus Lazardo's complaining about, you know, one of the catchers back there, whether Blake Fortis. Can't you just play Stallings then? Every time his his turn in the rotation comes, couldn't you just send Stallings out there to catch that one pitcher who's disgruntled? 
and DH your starting catcher? Like, if one of those Cardinal starters is complaining, if it's one complaining about Contreras, run Kisner out there for his starts every time through the rotation and DH Contreras. That You're right. That That's why I think it's got to be more than one. Which, to me, is like if there's if that is what's actually happening, then that is pretty embarrassing and a black mark, a stain on the St. Louis Cardinals organization and the culture they have. Because if if as a pitching staff you are struggling this bad and you point to a catcher instead of your and instead of looking inward and saying what can we do, and again. Unfortunately, Let me, for some of these pitchers, they're just not good enough. So but I'm that's my point. That's this is, but like this I'm, is big picture. Like this is what arrogance is. This is the problem with when people want to talk about what is the biggest complaint when it comes from anybody in the coaching world in the player development world is arrogance and ignorance to new ideas. What do you do when you approach somebody who is? completely disagrees with everything you said and they are dug in that it cannot be right i mean you look at the teacher mans of the world the jeff fries of the world we don't need to get in those dark ages of twitter but all of those guys are so dug in that you could present them facts but they're still going to deny and have to find an excuse right ian hap couldn't develop under teacher man because ian hap didn't do it right So the Cardinals sit there and they're so dug in on this belief, obviously top down that stuff doesn't matter. Pitch in the strike zone, pitch the content contact, let your defense play. Well, it's gotta be Wilson. What's the only thing that's changed? We don't have Yachty anymore. It's gotta be Wilson. We can't, it can't be because our pitcher stuff stinks, stinks below average stuff. Every single guy that can't be why. Oh, but our best relievers throw 102. With elite swing and miss stuff, but they're they're just outliers. What about these guys? Like, what about these guys? Like, they, they can pitch to content contact. They can get soft contact enough to have success. That's what it has to be. And Wilson Contreras is now the scapegoat because they can't sit there and admit that maybe our pitching staff just sucks. Like, they just suck. And I think that's there's no way around it from saying it. Like, there is not a pitcher in that rotation that scares you. I mean, I remember that's why the Phillies won in two in, in the wild card series. We went into it was like, how do the Phillies win this game? Well, you have the pitching advantage by okay. leaps and bounds. Yeah. Not even a question. Okay. Yeah. Adam Rainwright's pitched in a playoff game. Okay. Cute. He throws 88 with cut. And yeah, sure. He commands it, but Zach Wheeler can go punch 12 rolling out of bed on any given day. And, and that'll be the, the last thing we say about it is that, Wilson Contreras is the scapegoat for a pitching staff that is just not good. That's it. And wherever the excuse is coming from, excuses were made, and it's a bad look on an organization that has done things the right way for the longest time. Yeah, and and, and I don't want to dive too deep. But now, this is this is a handful of instances in the last couple of years that, to me, just keeps leading back to Ali Marmol. And, you know, for an organization that's made the right Not a fan. I'm going to put it out there. Not a fan. Me neither. But like at, at some point, like it's got to be on Ali Marmol, and I'd be—I mean, <laughs> some people don't like them, but they have two of the best leaders I think in baseball on their team that play every day. I'd love to know what their their thoughts are on this. Well, okay. you want to you want to know what I saw? Arenado and Goldschmidt think because you want to know what I saw people questioning Arenado and Goldschmidt's leadership because they were bad in. Arizona and Colorado while they were there. So that's what Cardinals fans are thinking right now. It's, yeah. It's it's not that the arrogant guy who has problems with umpires in spring training, who calls his players out in the media and doesn't talk to them like man to man, who has all these issues. He it's he pulls Goldschmidt, sure. Yeah, fake fake injury in the playoffs both, last they, year. Both those guys drug those two franchises to the playoffs like multiple times. You were talking Ouch. about bad pitching staffs. Ask Arenado yeah. who he was playing defense for in Colorado and Goldschmidt. <laughs> yeah, getting I mean, laser beams down that line. The Diamondbacks were in the wild card like three years in a row. He yep. was almost winning triple crown. I, that's yeah, okay, fine. But they're I not big. They're not big game hit. They're not big game hitters. Because yeah, what... <laughs> they struggled in the two games of the playoffs last year. Sure. <laughs> 
All right, let's move on to the next segment because I I got nothing left for the for the St. Louis Cardinals and and their the pitching staff that they've built. So you presented this this one to me, so I'm gonna let you take the reins here. It's it's all yours. Yeah, I'm excited. I think the people should be excited to hear your takes on this. So we're gonna play a little buy or sell. So you're either gonna buy the player or sell the player. Um, I'll I'll tell you the player. I'll give you some numbers, and you can just tell me whether you're buying their start. Um, or buying them after the start they've had or selling them after the start they have. Now, you could sell a player who's been off to a good start because you don't believe that they'll keep it up. You can buy a player who's off to a bad start because you think they're good enough to turn it around. I think I know where you're going to land here um, on some of these guys, but we're going to get started with a guy who I, I picked to win the National League MVP. If you remember our, our podcast, we were finding value, and that's Austin Riley. Obviously, that Braves lineup, they're clicking um, – and, and they're winning baseball games because they're probably the, the best, if not the second best team in baseball. Um, but Austin Riley's kind of gotten off to a surprising start. He's swinging, missing a ton, 22nd percentile with percentage, 31st percentile K percentage. Um, you know, he does have, you know, six home runs. So he's starting to swing it a little bit better of late over the last week, but he's only hitting 246. This is a guy who's been up around 300 the last three years. His OVP is only 331. He's only slugging 418. Um, for an OPS just north of 700. Are you buying or selling Austin Riley after the first five, six weeks of the season? I'm buying and I'm going broke trying. Because if anything, this is a guy that he might not be the MVP. He might not win the MVP this year and that's okay. But sometimes I think, and this is a problem that I get caught up in a lot, is the matter of data and process-oriented analytics and peripherals and all these things that we get so infatuated with, but how much can whiff percentage, K percentage, average exit velocity, barrel percentage be tied to a hitter that's searching, that's trying to find it, getting out on his front side when he normally wouldn't do it, and then next thing you know, boom, he turns the switch and he's good to go because he's Austin Riley, because he's competed at an MVP level. We see this a lot more with, with guys that aren't the elite of the elite. Like Juan Soto's had bad, batted ball luck. That's it. And he's still searching, but he's had bad, batted ball luck. Whereas a guy like Austin Riley, like if his barrel percentage or his slugging percentage or his expected stats might not be what you expect from him, it could just be because he's working through some things. And the second that he get it, gets it found, that that stock is going to go up like crazy. Seven barrels and 96 balls put in play makes me a little bit nervous on this one, but I'd still probably buy Austin Riley just because, you know, there are certain track record. League, right. There's certain guys in this league who have enough of a track record where you can buy in and, and everything else around it. It's not an age issue. It's not a too much pressure issue. He's in a lineup where he can afford to get off to a slow start and still turn it around and potentially carry them for a month of time. So I'm with you on that one. Next guy is a guy who I really kind of turned around on. Um, he's now put it together for a year and six weeks. Uh, Jonah Heim of the Texas Rangers, he's off to another really good start. You look at his uh, baseball savant page, there's a lot of red when it comes to barrel percentage, K percentage, whiff, whiff percentage, you know, expected slug, average exit velocity. He's up there in the tops in baseball. He's another guy who's shown a lot of more power than you would expect to, and those things kind of go hand in hand. Um, he is sick. He's another guy with six homers. He has three doubles, which would have been homers in probably about 60% of ballparks. Um, Jonah Hyatt, buy or sell the start he's off to this year. So I'm going to sell, but with a caveat for the fact that I'm thinking of it more as a mutual fund, not a stock. So I'm hoping that the sell is, is temp, it, it tempers a little bit because I'm bought on the player, but in terms of what his value is right now, we're going we're gonna to push a little bit away. Catchers don't slash 300, 400, 500 unless you're named Buster Posey, right? Like that's the only catcher in our lifetime who's really consistently done that. So you factor that into the fact of the, so he's going to have to come back to earth a little bit. You tell me he settles more in the 280, 350, 4, 450 range. Sign me up every time. I want that guy catching for me. Hits from both sides of the plate. He's a big cog to that lineup. He's obviously works pretty well with that pitching staff. He's a really good framer. Everything that comes into it. But in terms of what we're we're looking at now and what we expect him to be, we're selling with the expectation that he's going to settle a little bit closer to that high end range, but not the peak that he's at right now. I like that answer as well. Um, I like the way you're thinking about that too. I mean, to, to see a catcher slash three, four, five would be pretty impressive. And to your point, we haven't seen anybody really do it since Buster Posey. 
Um, next guy is Jason Hayward, 33-year-old now. Jason Hayward, who's bounced around quite a bit, but he's found himself in Los Angeles where weird things tend to happen. Now, slash line is only 238, 338, and 508 for an OPS of 846, but he's got four homers. And Trevor, if I were to tell you that he's 89th percentile in average exit velocity, 88th in max exit, 98th percentile in hard hit percentage, 81st in expected weighted on base, 80th in expected slug, 86th in, in, in walk percentage, 87th in chase rate. That's something surprising. I was really shocked when I saw the start that he's off to through the first six weeks. Buy or sell Jason Hayward. Let me ask you, what's his barrel percentage? His barrel percentage is 77th percentile. Put it all on. Because Jason Hayward's problem has never been the strength. It's never been the ability to get to power. Remember, this is a guy who broke records as a rookie in Atlanta with uh, when home runs were a big deal. When a rookie hitting 20 home runs was a huge deal, right? Back in the day when he made his debut. The ability to do it consistently, consistent barrels, consistently putting the ball in play hard, consistently getting to the pull side. Man, I don't think he's necessarily going to play every day. He's going to be a platoon guy, but give me all the stock you can. He's not going to hit 238 for the rest of the year. Slugging numbers are bonkers right now. He's almost got a 300 ISO, but I think those are going to kind of even out a little bit. It'll probably settle in on like the, if he hits 250, 450 slug, but the average is going to go up. His stock's going to stay where it's at. So I'm bought. And I think one of the most interesting things here about Hayward is that rookie year in 2015, he had his highest ever average exit velocity of his career at 89.1 miles an hour. Right now he's sitting at 92.4. He's hitting the ball almost three miles an hour harder on average than he's ever done it in his career. seems like this happens every year with the Dodgers. Someone on the Dodgers does this. Um, this year it happens to be Hayward. I'm excited about it. Uh, and you know you're going to still get gold glove defense. What a good piece to have. I mean, you go get a 33-year-old Jason Hayward off the scrap heap, and he's and he's profiling like this player right now, at basically what was prime Jason Hayward. Um, of course, it's the Dodgers. Uh, next guy, he's one of your favorite guys. I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to be. He's gotten off to kind of a surprisingly slow start. Um with his slash line, he's slashing 195, 322, 320 for an OPS south of 700 below league average, which is Alex Bregman. Now, as you have taught us all, he's never going to be an average exit velocity guy. He's 33rd percentile in the league, 24th percentile in hard hit percentage, 36th percentile in barrel rate. But he's doing some Alex Bregman things. He's not striking out. He's not swinging and missing. He's not chasing balls out of the zone. Buy or sell kind of the rocky start that Bregman's been off to. I'm going to I'm going to buy similarly to how we sold with Jonah Heim um and that's just because of the fact that I think he's going to get hot. He did it last year. He started out really slow, but in terms of putting all my chips into it, it's been too consistently of a theme of him struggling in stretches and not being the consistent MVP caliber Alex Bregman that we've seen. Um, I think there's been some swing changes that he's made that make sense in terms of how to stay on plane, how to hold your posture, but sometimes he loses athleticism. So I'm not 100% sold on that this is a guy who we're going to blink and at the end of the year he's going to hit 280 with 30 home runs similarly to how he did last year. But track record, track record of success, knowing the player, back of the baseball card, all those adages that we've talked about for years, I'm definitely putting some money into it. We're going to buy the stock, but we're also going to temper expectations and understand that this might not be a guy who finishes top five in the MVP voting ever again. And I, I, I'm with you then with him as well. And I think just his elite understanding of what he has to do to be successful makes me kind of confident he can figure out. The only major concern I have with Bregman, one that I really think is real, is just his numbers against breaking pitches <clears throat> this year compared to just even a year like last year where his average is over 100 point lowers. He's not slugging it. He's in that when he is swinging and missing it, it has been on breaking stuff. So that concerns me a little bit because that's a guy who's not going to get force fed fastballs because everyone knows he's going to be able to backspin them down the line. So if he doesn't kind of correct that, whatever that issue may be on the struggles he's having with breaking stuff, um, then maybe not. But I, I tend to think that, you know, again, track record's too long. Um, 
Next guy is an interesting case here because depending on where you sit in the country, you probably have a different representation of the type of season he started to have, and that's Zach Wheeler. Um, he's got a 4.26 ERA in 38 innings with 46 strikeouts. The 4.26 ERA is is obviously much higher than you would expect from Zach Wheeler. The velocities have been down a little bit throughout the first couple starts. Now, his velocities early last year, I would like everyone to remember, were also down. But when you look at some of the peripherals with, with Wheeler, it's 94th percentile on average exit velocity. He's 83rd in expected slug, 90th in barrel percentage, 76th in whiff percentage, 81st in fastball velocity, 85th still in spin. He's obviously still has elite extension, but he just for some reason can't put together the starts that we've seen in the past. Are you buying or selling on Zach Wheeler after the first six weeks? Give it to me. All of it. All of it. You you look at the things that are important to me when it comes to pitchers, and Zach Wheeler does this better than than most, and it's really what's made him an ace caliber pitcher since he's came to Philadelphia. He gets swing and miss, and he limits hard contact. Even in a down year right now where he's pitching to a 4.26 ERA, he's getting swing and miss at the 76th percentile in whiff percentage, and he's a 94th percentile average exit velocity. That is a recipe for success. Does that mean he's going to win a Cy Young? No, that's far from a guarantee. He's had a rough stretch. I watched him on Friday night against the Red Sox. Command is off. Command to the glove side specifically is off. He misses with the fastball glove side, then a slider that he likes to backdoor to, to lefties that they swing over top of for the strikeout he is yanking. If he gets that refined in, he's going to be fine. He's going to start dominating hitters. So I'm all in with the stock. I'm buying it all. I'm putting the house on it. We're good to go with Zach Wheeler as long as he stays healthy. He's a guy that obviously the velos being down is concerning, but velo doesn't matter if you can still get swing and miss and get soft contact. You could throw 92 and be elite. Look at Jeffrey Springs at the beginning of the year. I think something that's interesting with Wheeler to look at here, um, and you'd have to really, you know, kind of peel back some of the layers and go start by start on this, is he's added the sweeper, so he has a new pitch, and it's kind of thrown the pitch usage off. The fastball usage is down because now you're throwing a slider and the sweeper, so he's throwing more spin. And when it comes to some of the batted ball luck and him getting hit more, maybe it's sometimes it is as simple as looking at pitch usage. We've had that conversation before. Uh, the next guy is a guy who's been, frankly, pretty much unhittable to start the year in 40 innings, and that's Sonny Gray. He's pitching to a 1-3-5 ERA, 47 strikeouts and 40 innings pitch. He's striking out over a guy in inning, which he hasn't done in a long time. Um, he's got a whip of 1-1, which is pretty impressive for him. He's gotten hit a little bit, though. So he's average exit velocity is only 32nd percentile, hard hit percentage 43rd, but 81st in K percentage, 84th in whiff percentage. His fastball spin is back to doing what it was doing when he first broke in. He's 93rd percentile in, in fastball spin, and he's 80th percentile in expected slug and 85th in expected batting average. Are you buying the resurgence of Sonny Gray after the first six weeks? I'm buying the resurgence of Sonny Gray, but I'm not buying the stock in it. Similar to Jonah Heim, we're treating this like a mutual fund. We're gonna we're gonna sell at this current point in time, but we're going to keep an eye on it. Make sure that if it settles in somewhere where we're comfortable with, probably get back into it. The expected batting average right now, 197. So whether he's getting hit hard or not, it's getting beaten to the ground. Talked about this time and time again. Ground balls are outs at this level. The addition of the cutter inside outside of the four-seamer has obviously helped. So he's getting whiffs and he's limiting barrels. So as long as those hard hit balls don't don't start to get lifted in the air, he should be okay, which I think he will be. He has good enough stuff to be. Obviously, with the caveat that if he starts to make more mistakes, his stuff isn't as crisp, whatever it would be, and he starts to leak over the middle of the plate. Yeah, it's very easy for those balls to start get elevated. But guys that have a tendency to miss barrels usually can consistently do it because their stuff profiles to miss barrels. So I'm buying the resurgence of Sonny Gray. I think it's been a great story to start this year. He's not going to pitch to a 1.35 ERA, but there's no reason he can't strike out a batter per nine, continue to limit the in the air, hard contact and be a really successful piece for a really good Minnesota Twins team. 50% ground ball rate against, uh, which had really dipped off the last two years. Um, that's back. That's led a lot to the success. And then the um, 
the adjustment of the cutter, he had gone away from it for several years, brought the cutter back. It's definitely a different shape and it's been refined. And I think that's really helped him as well to start. Um, next guy, buy or sell. This is a guy that, uh, you know, has really kind of turned heads in Chicago and that's Justin Steele. He's got a one, four, five ERA. He's only struck out 36 and 43 and a third, but everything else looks pretty impressive. I mean, he's inducing a ton of weak contact, 96 percentile on average exit velocity, 80 percentile on expected slug, 86 in barrel percentage, um, only 48 percentile in whip percentage and K percentage, but he is at 69% chase rate. Nice. Um, are you buying or selling the start that Steele is off to? I'm in on Justin Steele. Again, we're treating this like the stock market. I'm very reluctant to buy into anything that's peaking at this point in time. And Justin Steele is just that. So we're going to treat this as a sell. But in terms of what he's been able to do, we've seen elite contact guys that can limit hard contact specifically and make sure those balls are pressed into the ground that have a lot of success and that can be very successful pitchers for a very long time. So while Justin Steele might not be the swing and miss guy. He's just average with that. And that's okay. You're allowed to be just average in that. If you do other things well, like limit hard contact and limit balls that are hit in the air, and you're going to set yourself up for a lot of success. We saw Sandy Alcantara ride that to a Cy Young award. So when you think about all those things combined, this is a guy that can pitch at a very high level and outperform his expected stats, quite frankly, because expected stats are a lot on your swing and miss and stuff like that. So, you know, in terms of if I was putting my my hard-earned cash into that, probably avoiding that play right now. But in terms of what he's been able to do, I think he could be at the top of the Chicago Cubs rotation for, for years ahead. Yeah, we've seen him strictly go fastball slider primarily this year. Um, hasn't really thrown as many sinkers, curveballs, changeups he has in the past. And the slider, like so many guys who have made the adjustment this year, it's still not quite the sweeper, but he's added more depth, which is kind of a trend we've started to see throughout is um, starting to get that slider to get a little bit more depth on it. All right, last guy here. High expectations coming into the year. He was kind of a trendy pick for Cy Young for a lot of people. Um, we obviously know what his teammate Kevin Galsman has done so far for the Blue Jays, but Alec Manoa has really struggled. Some people thought it was a weight concern, even though there was a big to-do over in the offseason with the pitch clock and everything. We even touched on it. But Manoa so far this year in 36 and a third innings has a 4.71 ERA, 31 strikeouts with a 1.65 whip. And you look at the peripherals, and it is not good. I mean, he's 40th percentile on average exit velocity, 38th in hard hit. 15th percentile expected batting, 18th in expected slug, 30th in barrel percentage, 24th in K percentage, 17th in walk percentage, 26th in whip percentage. It goes on and on and on. This is kind of shocking for a guy who a lot of people had high expectations for. Trevor, is this just a, a rough first six weeks, or are you selling on Alec Manoa? I'm selling, and he's bad. I'm out. I'm out completely. He's been bad. I'm selling. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. You look at a guy whose K percentages have gone down every year since he entered the big leagues. He outperformed his expected ERA last year by almost a full run, which is okay. That's fine. 3.31 expected ERA is still elite in terms of what we're looking for. But you're looking at a guy right now who's sitting at a 4.71, and he's been lucky to have a 4.71 ERA. His expected ERA is currently a 6.72, expected slug 501, and an expected batting average of 287. He's basically competing for an MVP when he throws to other teams' hitters. That's how good he's been. So it's a guy who I don't even want to bring up the weight concerns. That's really not my place to judge some of these guys that are bigger bodied they pitch like that their whole life why are we going to start deciding now is the time to to fix that the slider is what really worries me that's a pitch that got 14 and a half inches of horizontal break last year with some depth in it as well above average depth it's flattened out in terms of the depth and it's only getting 12.7 inches of break that then makes his sinker look so much easier to hit it has less of that change that we talk about going up across planes 
planes. So that's worrisome as well as the fact that he just hasn't been good. He has a 12.3 walk percentage so far this year. So not like his walk percentage is almost as high as his K percentage, which is just, that just can't happen. You can't walk almost as many hitters as you strike out and, and expect to be successful. That's just, that's just not going to work in the league today. So, you know, he's a guy that has definitely experienced some batted ball positives. You know, he's a guy who, but he's a guy who could limit barrels, but this year the stuff's flattening out. The stuff's not profiling. Well, is it a weight thing with the pitch clock? I don't know. He's listed at six, six, two eighty five. He should have his hand in the dirt playing guard for the Buccaneers at this point. My goodness. But at the same time, he's a guy that, you know, he's, he's shown success. He has a track record, but you know, I think it's easy to kick him when he's down because he is a confident guy. He has a lot of, uh, bravado to him so it's easy to jump on him and and automatically say that he's dead in the water i don't think he's dead in the water for his career but this is going to be a hard thing to fix over the course of 162 he's got to figure the slider out it's as simple as that i mean his slider has a run value of 10 which is unheard of his fastball's taken a step back it's got a negative one run value so obviously still a, a slightly above average pitch at negative one but it was a negative 18 last year and the slider was a negative six and it's now a 10 I mean, and for people who don't understand the run value metric, I'll just give you this. Against the slider this year, there, people are hitting 379 with a 724 slugging percentage on the slider. That tells you that there is something absolutely wrong, whether he's tipping it or if it's just not good right now, he's not locating, he's not commanding it. Something has to get figured out with the slider if he's going to right the ship at all. At all. At, at all. all. I don't think it happens during the course of this year. I don't, it's, it's going to be really hard. I don't, I don't know if he has options. That's like your only hope. He might have options at this point to go down and work through it. But because at this point he's, he's, he's a detriment to the Toronto Blue Jays. You see Kikuchi throwing well, you know, we've seen Bar- they've dealt with it with Barrios over the last couple of years of a guy who's just working through it at the big league level. But I, there's nothing on him other than track record and youth that tells me that we should be bought into him recovering at this point in time. Does that mean he's dead in the water for his career? No, No, not at all. That's not what we're saying. We still think Alec Manoa can compete at the level that he competed at last year. There's no denying that. But as it stands right now, there's nothing positive that you can hang your hat on and go, see, here's the 24. 25 year old that we all believe in that can win a Cy Young. This is all he needs to do to regain that potential. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's in, he's in trouble. And, and luckily for Toronto though, they've got some, some of those other guys who are really throwing the ball. Well, Dawson included. Um, that was fun. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. That was, that was a lot of fun. We'll, we'll have to do that a couple more times today. Cause even as we were going through it, I had some guys come to mind that I'd love to, uh, kick while they're down i guess is the best way to say it because there's there's some some leniency and then things that i uh have my preferences for but uh any closing thoughts on on the week we have ahead or anything in particular no i mean i continue to uh, enjoy baseball excited that we're gonna get back on here for three episodes this week yeah, definitely. We're gonna have to find something to talk about tomorrow because we we exhausted a little bit of our uh, of our content today. Um, but we will be coming back to you guys. Uh, you'll probably be hearing this in your feed on Tuesday. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Make sure if you did not listen already, Tyson Petersheim, director of hitting at Virginia Tech, he hopped on the pod and he just great episode. I think that's the best way to describe it. It was a great episode for anybody who's interested in hitting, anybody who's interested in coaching, anybody who's interested in player development, whatever your interests are. Tyson brought so much content there that we can all enjoy. And it was just such an awesome episode and an awesome experience, even for Dan and I. Uh, Make sure you're following on all the social channels. Um, We're producing as much content as possible. The clips have been coming out. Uh, You know, just make sure if you see them, repost them, throw a like helps us grow in any way, just trying to get ourselves in front of as many eyes as possible. 
Make sure you're checking out our sponsors. I know we're in full swing of baseball season at this point. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, concert. Anybody want to go watch, see Taylor Swift? I mean, $20 might not make a difference, but shoot, you can go use our backside ground ball promo code at SeatGeek. And then if you need any therapy needs, betterhelp.com slash backside ground balls. Head there. They'll be able to match you up. Questionnaire. Make sure you're lined up with the right therapist for your needs. If you don't like your therapist, don't get along, whatever the reasons may be. Free of charge, change your therapist and make sure you get the help that you need. All online. You can text, you can call, you can set up three appointments a week if you needed it. You could set up one appointment a week if you needed it. It's therapy based around you and your needs and being able to have those to your advantage. Very important. Something Dan and I are very passionate about making sure everybody has the necessary resources to get the help they need. So other than that, Make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Five-star reviews help us grow in any way. Uh, Be huge for our podcast. We're doing our best, producing as much content as possible, enjoying it, having fun. Lots of fun interviews coming up. Lots of fun baseball coming up. But until next time, we'll see you guys tomorrow on the next episode. Great news. Major League Baseball is back The college baseball season continues to electrify, and with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals great seats at an affordable price you can't beat it make sure to enter promo code backside ground ball for twenty dollars off that's seatgeek.com promo code backside ground ball